Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Sermons Podcast. My name's Stuart, I'm the Minister at St Ninian's in Stonehouse, which is in Scotland. We are a local ecumenical partnership between the Church of Scotland and the United Reformed Church and that means we reflect both traditions in our work and worship. So let's listen to our reading for this week and then get on to the sermon. The first reading today is from Isaiah 35, verses 1 to 10. The road of holiness. The desert will rejoice. The flowers will bloom in the wilderness. The desert will sing and shout for joy. It will be as beautiful as the Lebanon mountains and as fertile as the fields of Carmel and Sharon. Everyone will see the Lord's splendor, see his greatness and power. Give strength to hands that are tired and to knees that tremble with weakness. Tell everyone who is discouraged, be strong and don't be afraid. God is coming to your rescue, coming to punish your enemies. The blind will be able to see and the deaf will hear. The lame will leap and dance and those who cannot speak will shout for joy. Streams of water will flow through the desert. The burning sand will become a lake and the dry land will be filled with springs. Where jackals, where ja- where jackals used to live, marsh grass and reeds will grow. There will be a mighty highway there called the Road of Holiness. No sinner will ever travel that road. No fools will mislead those who follow it. No lions will be there. No fierce animals will pass that way. Those whom the Lord has rescued will travel home by that road. They will reach Jerusalem with gladness, singing and shouting for joy. They will be happy forever, forever free, forever free from sorrow and grief. And the second reading is from St. Luke. Uh, Matthew, sorry, sorry, Matthew 11, verses 2 to 11. And it's the messenger from John the Baptist. When John the Baptist heard in prison about the things that Christ was doing, he sent some of his disciples to him. Tell us, they asked Jesus, are you the one John said was going to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus answered, go back and tell John, what you are hearing and seeing. The blind can see, the lame can walk. Those who suffer from dreaded skin diseases are made clean. The deaf hear, the dead are brought back to life, and the good news is preached to the poor. How happy are those who have no doubts about me. While John's disciples were leaving, Jesus spoke about him to the crowds. When you went out to John in the desert, what did you expect to see? A blade of grass bending in the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed up in fancy clothes? People who dress like that live in palaces. Tell me, what did you go out to see? A prophet, yes indeed, but you you saw much more than a prophet, for John is the one of whom the scripture says, God said, I will send my messenger ahead of you to open the way for you. I assure you that John the Baptist is greater than any man who has ever lived, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Amen. Amen. 
John the Baptist dared to speak truth to power. That's what prophets are called to do, to tell it how it is, to name the things that need confronting and the things that need to be changed and the things that need to be overcome or taken away or improved. That's the job description of a prophet. And unsurprisingly, people don't like it much when someone comes along and points out all their flaws. Those in power, those with vested interests, those with the most to lose are the most resistant to being called out in public for their wrongdoing. Last week, we heard John the Baptist down at the River Jordan, standing on the edge of the wilderness, slamming the religious leaders. He called them a brood of vipers to their face. Hypocrites who should know better. But he also called on the ordinary people to prepare the way to sort themselves out because the Messiah was coming. And this week, we find John in prison. Herod Antipas was king by then. He was little more than a Roman puppet politician. That said, he was ruthless and vengeful. Herod married his sister-in-law and John was quick to let him know that that just wasn't on. So Herod threw him in jail. And as he languished in his cell, John starts to have the same doubts that we all might have. Was I right to say that? Was it worth it? Did I go too far? It's much easier to be righteous when there's nothing at stake. But when your big mouth lands you behind bars, it's not hard to see why a little self-reflection would be on the cards. But it's a much deeper concern that starts to trouble John. What if all of this has been for nothing? What if Jesus isn't the one? What if he's not the Messiah at all? And so John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, is it you? Are you the one? And it's the ultimate Advent question, isn't it? Are you the one? Is Jesus really the Messiah? Is Jesus really the one that everyone's been waiting for? And for John, the question is urgent. He's in prison. He's awaiting execution. He could really do with a mighty warrior king leading an uprising right about now. In fact, his life depends on it. For us, though, I wonder. I wonder if the question is quite so front and center. I wonder if it's lost its urgency. I wonder if it's even a question we bother to ask ourselves anymore. I wonder if we've already decided that Jesus is the one. But as we look around, well, does it really make any difference? I mean, honestly, it's not that things have got any better, is it? Wars still rage. People are still poor. There are now more food banks in Britain than there are chain stores of McDonald's. That's the world that we live in. So no, it doesn't seem like Jesus being the Messiah has made a whole lot of difference, does it? And that's exactly what John thinks too. As he looks around at his world, the Romans are still here. The religious leaders are still corrupt. The courts are unjust. People are greedy and cruel and selfish. Nothing much has changed. 
It's easy to see why John's gospel speaks of darkness. We all know that our fears and problems are magnified in the middle of the night. It's because there's nothing else. The night blots out all signs of life and hope and joy. It's just quiet and cold and dark and lonely. John sends his disciples to find out if his biggest fear has been realized. That the way isn't over. That the prophecies have not come true. That Jesus is just another preacher and it's all come to nothing. John's disciples get an answer they don't really expect. Jesus confirms to them John's status. When you went out into the wilderness, what did you expect? Why did you go? Who did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine robes. Well, they live in palaces. That's not who lives in the wilderness. What did you go out to see? You went to see a prophet. And I'll tell you this, John's more than a prophet. He's the one who's been written about. See, I'm sending a messenger ahead of you, the one who will prepare the way. That's John. So John is the messenger. John is the last prophet. The one who will usher in the birth and reign of a new king. Brilliant. Fantastic. So that means that Jesus must be the Messiah. It's all going to be okay. Jesus is going to start it all out. Perhaps he's going to inspire a revolution today and overthrow the corrupt king and get rid of the Romans and everything will be fine. But John's followers have skipped straight to the end, haven't they? Right to the part they wanted to hear. The bit that confirms all of their expectations. They've missed what Jesus is really saying. When you went out into the wilderness to see John thundering away in the banks of the Jordan, what did you expect to find? What was it you were looking for? Were you looking for someone to make it better? Because John fits the bill, doesn't he? He's fearless in the face of authority, full of righteous anger, offering a new start, a change, an old promise of better times to come, just about to be made real. And that's what we all want, isn't it? Strong leadership. We crave certainty. It doesn't seem to matter much what certainty we get, but we want it anyway. It seems to be part of the product of age. The older we are, the more certainty we want. Apparently there was an election a couple of days ago, you might have noticed so one of the things you probably don't know about me is that I've got a master's in social policy and uh, social research. These things interest me. So I saw a poll, some numbers that had been done about the election. It turns out if you were 18 to 24 years old and if those were the only people who had voted in the election, that Labour would have won 600 of the 650 seats. If only six, 18 to 24 year olds had voted. If only people over 65 had voted, the Conservatives would have won 575 of the 650 seats. And the only reason that I'm telling you that is because apparently the point at which people shift from Labour to Conservative is 47. I'm 47. 
So I'm wondering what happens when you get to be my age? What is it that changes? Perhaps it's because we've seen it all before. Perhaps as we get older, our expectations are lowered. I've almost come to terms with the reality that I'll be never selected to play football for Scotland. <laughs> almost. <laughs> They're too good. I'm never going to get selected for them. But perhaps that's the difference, isn't it? We realize that these dreams and ambitions are gone. And that's all that they ever were. Perhaps we look back with fondness at our glory days. We try to recapture a time when everything seemed to make sense. Because looking back does that, doesn't it? Even the hardest of times take on some kind of positive shine because of the past we survived Maybe just, but we're here. Are those times that we look back on that contain the people and the things that we have lost, that we miss? Loved ones, a career, status, youth. Things that we know that we can't get back. So we try to stop the world because we feel the, the passing of each day, we move further and further away from that moment where we felt most alive. I think in lots of ways we can relate to John, sitting there in the darkness of his prison cell, wondering what happened to all that possibility? What happened to all that hope? Joy comes in the morning, writes the psalmist. Joy comes in the morning because the light comes and the darkness is dispelled and the heat of the sun brings warmth. And creation is revealed. And we see life around us. John the Baptist has been talking about the promise that God had made through the prophets. But even he doesn't really seem to understand. He doesn't understand what that will look like in real life. What fulfillment of those promises will really be like? Which is a bit odd. It's odd because the prophets have been talking about what it will look like for thousands of years. The prophet that John quotes most, Isaiah, talks about it all the time. It's that very prophet that John quoted when he talked to Jesus. Isaiah says, The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom, that the crocus it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Strengthen the weak hands, make, the, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who are fearful in heart, be strong, don't be afraid, because the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless will sing for joy. Water will break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals will become as a swamp with um, reeds and rushes. And that's all lovely. It's all joyful. It's all beautiful. 
It's all peaceful. As Julian of Norwich said, all will be well and all manner of things will be well. But I've missed a bit out. I've missed a bit out and it's the bit that we all stick on. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense, and he will come and save you. Because that's what we really want, isn't it? All that nice stuff is okay. We'll take it. But we would really like it to be at someone else's expense, especially our enemies. This is the Old Testament prophecy. Fire and brimstone, judgment and vengeance. And John doesn't see much vengeance in Jesus. The thing is, vengeance is easy. And we're become incredibly good at it. We want to think that the causes of our problems will be sorted out or sent away so that we can have what's ours and everyone else can get what's coming to them. Isaiah's prophecy was written when the people were in exile in Babylon. Their neighbours had been their problems. They were the enemies of God. And all they wanted was for God to come and destroy their enemies. They wanted to go home. They wanted to get back to how it had been before this all happened. But one of the things they didn't recognize was it was at least in part their fault. They had built an army. They had tried to challenge the power of their neighbors and their neighbors won. What they don't realize is that this is not how change comes about. It's not how the kingdom of God becomes real. Instead of vengeance and retribution, Jesus tells us we need justice and righteousness. We all want to be bigger and stronger and more prosperous and richer and more secure. Jesus' manifesto for all of us is to become smaller and more vulnerable and more compassionate and more meek. And Jesus knows that this won't be popular. He says as much. Blessed is anyone who doesn't take offense at me. Jesus answers to John's followers are to present them with evidence, facts, truth. In the brutal occupation of a military superpower, what have you seen? What have you heard? Where corruption and greed and violence and lies are the currency of the moment. What have you seen? What have you heard? Behind the headlines and the spread of fear and hatred. What's been proclaimed? Go and tell John. What you hear and you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the poor, the poor have good news brought to them. There is another story. There is another way. In the very darkest moment, despite our fear and our anxiety, God promises joy. In the long watches of the night, despite our loss and our grief, God promises joy. In the lines at the food banks, 
despite our needlessness and lack of resources, God promises joy. Despite ourselves, God promises joy. And the arid places water will gurgle up. And the barren places life will sprout. Frozen wastes of hearts and lives will be lovingly thawed and nurtured and infused with joy. And we can't stop it. So dare we imagine that world. Dare we speak of hope in the silence. Dare we put colours into the shadows. Dare we gather in such a promise on the cusp of incarnation. God infiltrates our best efforts and our worst. He causes joy to bubble up in the hopeless places. However unlikely it seems, joy comes in the morning. So be prepared. Get ready. Because the baby kicks in the womb. The pains of labor are stirring. Angels are clearing their throats. The time is almost here. Quietly the creeping light conspires against the darkness and with slow elegance crushes the shadows one by one. And on the cusp of a promise, the silence wilts with the burden of waiting, caught in the not yet of incarnation. It's a heavy silence that bears the burden of war, an exhausted planet, a community that's lost its sense of belonging. But light can't be caught by armies or by time. And in the first gasp of God, it erupts and breaks free. Its brightness cast across the universe, wave on eternal wave, never to be constrained. And charging against the shadows, cast the darkness into the forgotten night. Joy comes in the morning. So be prepared. Make way. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please do get in touch. We create this podcast at anchor.fm where you can leave us a voice message. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We post the audio of the whole service each week on our website. There are details of all of this in the show notes. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.